Hello, I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Ian Andrews. You're listening to Close to Read, the podcast for the incurable reader, on which we are discussing Amor Toll's novel, A Gentleman in Moscow. And in fact, we are discussing the end of A Gentleman in Moscow, or rather, we are discussing the entire book instead of segments along the way. So we'll talk about the end and more. Ian, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. Loved reading the end of this book. Can't wait to talk about it. Heidi, how are you? Same. Well, fine. Let's just do it then. Yeah, this is exciting. <laughs> Be done with the small talk, right? Okay, so we've come to the end. Here's what I want to do. And this is not just because people criticize us for being too negative <laughs> or, or rather complained about it. I don't know what the phrase is that you want to use. Well, I, thought we, some... I thought we were negative to begin with because they thought we were too positive. We were. That's we exactly win. the fact. Exactly. Win. Exactly. It's okay. Um, okay. So we'll just here... say what we think and be honest then. <laughs> yeah, you put things out in the world, right? Just let the chips fall where... What's the phrase? The they where may. they may. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so again, this is not just because of the online chatter, but I would love to ask you guys what you think are the two things that having read the end of the book, this book does best. I don't know that I've ever really asked that question. It's a on great show question. I like it. Years. I affirm that question. And I'm kind of thinking it might be a, the kind of question that's worth asking more. Um, because it allows us to kind of take stock of all the conversations we've had. Sometimes, you know, take stock of the criticisms we've had, the the com- the complaints we've or the complaints we've had, the the um, compliments we've made, the praises we've given tolls. Kind of take stock of all those things and try to summarize it into, you know, like something cohesive. Heidi, what? Why don't you do one, and okay. we'll kind of go back and forth here. Okay. So and yes, I will write these down. Okay. Perfect. Um, we're going to do a snake draft yeah, about sort of all the things. Draft. That, yeah. A, 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 yeah. Um, I get a meal. Yeah. So I think that my first one is that he, throughout the book, he kind of beautifully brings us to this moment of clarity and precision that I think is what he's trying to do, which is pick up the tipped over glass on the table in Casablanca, right? Like this book is that. This book is his way of picking up the glass, saying the world is going to hell in a handbasket, things are falling apart, and yet I'm just going to put one thing in order. And I think this book is his one thing in order. And I think he totally nails it throughout, like just the precise, beautiful ending, the depictions of the good life throughout the novel, the characters. I just think it's just his little invitation for each of us to pick up the glass. And I, I think that he does a beautiful job of that. So he brings us to a moment of clarity in the end by... And puts by, one thing in order, right? The okay. book is in order. Like everything... And and the book is an invitation for us to put it in order. I almost can't put it into words other because the image is so perfect of Rick picking up the glass. Mm-hmm. And it's so clear that everything's converging towards that being the point. And so I don't know that I can put it into more precise words than that. I probably could have, if I had known this question was coming, but since I did it, <laughs> you get my messy disorderly attempt to say something that the book puts in order. <laughs> I knew this question was coming five minutes ago. So, you know, it's not oh, it's like perfect. I planned this ahead, a great way, way ahead. Uh, Ian, what about you? Man, this is a great question. Um, I think what he's best at from my perspective or what he does best here is painting moments. Um, it, it reads like a series of vignettes and that's obviously intentional on his part, right? Since we're hop skipping through so many years of, of experiences for the count, but they're e- each of them so vivid. Um, I would almost call it like some kind of literary impressionism, like splotches of color here and, um, and the focal point of the painting in each one of these scenes is unbelievably stark and precise. Everything else kind of diffuses into a glow around it. Um, I, I think as a stylist, that's his forte is is taking you all the way inside of a moment, um, whether it's a conversation or or a moment of there of clarity in the count's thought processes. Um, he allows the reader to inhabit those really thoroughly, and I think they're they're very real. 
literary impressionism. Yeah. 18 moments of literary impressionism. What's also. yours, David? You're doing one, right? I always feel like oh, I have to remind uh, David that he has to talk on shoot. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I will say... I didn't know this question was coming. Um, <laughs> no, I will say this book makes me want to watch Casablanca. Mm-hmm. And I that sounds a little tongue-in-cheek, like I couldn't think, anything, think, think of anything better. But first of all, Reminding me to watch Casablanca is a is a just an incredibly important service, uh, and all of you should watch Casablanca. And then, um, secondly, he is we talked about this, but he's an enthusiast. He points you towards towards good things, and it makes you know it makes me want to um, pick up the glass, you know, as as Heidi reminded us. But also, it makes me want to, you know, read good books and think about Homer and drink good wine and try to cook something interesting and those sorts of things. But ultimately it just makes me want to watch Casablanca. Okay. That brings us, Oh shoot. That it, technically in a snake draft, that would bring us back to me. Um, <laughs> I love how seriously we're taking the snake draft. It's awesome. <laughs> hey, I didn't even think about it. think about it. And then Heidi brought it up. You know what? We'll just do it. We'll just, we won't do a snake draft. We'll do a regular draft. So Heidi, you're, All right. you go again. Yeah. See what happened there. Okay. Um, I am his, it's the turn of phrase. Like that's, he's just a master at it. The last words of the book, right? The willowy woman waiting. Like that's just, or what the willowy woman waits. Mm-hmm. That just is, he, he's, so masterful at the turn of phrase. It's such a delight to read, especially as a writer, a less accomplished writer, but to read a master at his craft is delightful. So love that. Turn of phrase. Ian, that brings us back to you. Um, let's see. I, this is something that just, just crossed my mind, but I left this book um, even more uh, interested and excited to hopefully one day be a father. Um, I think his depiction of fatherhood was very beautiful. And um, having not been a father, I don't know how realistic it is, but it struck me that a lot of the um, a lot of the pressures of that role, especially being a father to a daughter, were were painted just under the surface of so many of these scenes. I mean, obviously there are the big ones, like the, the line that sticks out to me from this, the, that last line is beautiful. The one that Heidi quoted, but the other one that I love from this section is this dressless dress. So good. <laughs> it's just great. Do we need to see every single one of her vertebra? Like, Something it's just, entirely different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so there are those big moments, but then throughout Dude, you just underneath, <laughs> did you just, you do know you just harumphed, don't you? Um, so that that relationship was obviously super winning, but I think the way that fatherhood affects the count's psychology over the course of the story was uh, was beautiful and inspiring. Made me want to be a dad to a daughter someday. I think I would say this is tied to my other one, I guess, but I would say that, that he offers a um, a a vision of like an an aesthetic way of life or a way of life that is defined by aesthetic matters, but that isn't shallow because, you know, sometimes you, people, people will just accuse someone who cares about things being beautiful or whatever as, as being shallow, but that's, you know, both an oversimplification and kind of a misunderstanding of beauty. And I think that he really, beauty is something that matters to him. And Bethany has been reading, um, Oh shoot! What's the what's that big the ethics of the beauty. ethics of beauty mm-hmm. and one of, and this is like that's a book you should read. I haven't read the whole thing, but it's one of the things that he talks about in there is that beauty is how is an entryway for the human soul into truth and goodness. And so I think that when people care about things being beautiful, that's that's uh, almost noble. And uh, you know he's writing about a world where all around him things are kind of falling apart. And so his, his, he is sustained by beauty. And he's also the character is sustained by beauty. And it's clear that Tolls is trying to um, preserve beautiful things, but also just remind us that they matter. So um, tied to my Casablanca point, but I think, you know, I think that that's a, I think that's what I would say. 
Um, as we come to the ending, one of the things I've noticed in reading people's comments, not just in the Facebook group, but you know, if you check on Goodreads or you read reviews, there are some people who um, would just say, you know, nothing really happens in the end. The ending was a little unsatisfying, but the journey along the way was very compelling and enjoyable. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that the ending is satisfying? Oh, I Ian, loved it. Ian was, you know. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, um, in fact, I, and I think I said something similar to this earlier in one of our previous discussions, but um, I, I would almost go the opposite. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. The journey was fine, but I wish that he had done more plot like that throughout. He was good at it. Like, I, I think the, it was a dramatic shift in pacing, obviously through, yeah, through yeah. Sophia's defection and the count's escape and all of that. Um, and I sort of wished for a mystery thriller version of the novel <laughs> when I got done reading it, I was like, Oh man, you really can, you can write a stem winder, my dude. Let's do that. <laughs> I've not heard the phrase stem winder. Really? Have you Heidi? Was that just like, what do you mean? What is it supposed to, what does it mean? Like a page turner? Yeah. Like a page turner, uh, a, a twisty, turny, surprise filled. Got like, it. It, okay. like it's the stem as the stem of the book. And then you're just like, love it so much. It's like unwinding. You know, this is one of those, this happens to me periodically. Uh, I grew up with grandparents, one from Georgia and one from Oklahoma. Uh, and they're in their eighties now. And they have, there are all sorts of little phrases and little <laughs> cliches dropped into the family lexicon that are never examined. You got to be careful with that kind of thing. Some of them are very racist and you just don't know. <laughs> like you'll just say something that's just because it's just abominable. And you right. don't know, you've never thought about it before. It's just, yeah. So, and then it comes out of your mouth and you're like, you're like I did not know. Maybe me. That. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you give us some examples? No, don't I'm give just, us I any don't think you want that. Yeah. I don't kidding. think you want that. Oh my goodness. Demwinder, that's a good one. Hope it's not racist. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> Heidi, what about you? I forgot. Okay, because, okay, now the I ending. remember the question. Was the ending sad? So then it just got derailed a little bit by Stemwinder. But yes, I think <laughs> it's really satisfying. Um, I, like he had, I, he had to end it on a high note. And escape is the perfect, is the perfect thing. Um, so I, I thought it was great. I wish that, I wish that they, we had seen a little more, right? Because I get, a, I, I want to know what happens to them, um, right. and I can't help but picture them on the, the, on the beach in Duatineo, just like in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shawshank! What a movie! Goodness gracious! Okay, okay, that's interesting because let me let me throw out a question that I have again. Anything, I, anything. I don't. Want this it's gonna sound like a criticism. I like this book. Okay, so. <laughs> We all like this book. Yeah. Everybody calm so, down. Yeah, why cool. if he if he could escape here, why didn't he escape earlier? Because you look at a lot of like the escape movies, prison movies, whatever, like they're kind of or or stories. The idea is like they've tried, they've tried, they've tried, and then they pull it off. The tension is that they they didn't try. The the, the sort of like there's like a lack of tension in this book in the sense that he doesn't ever try to escape. And then at the end, it's like concocts a quick little plan and and boom, here I am in Europe. Well, actually, he doesn't really get to Europe, but... No, he doesn't. At the, I, I have a couple things to say about that. Um, first of all, Heidi's right. He ends on a high note with escape, but it's also very poignant because he doesn't escape to Sophia. And I think that's a key into an answer to your question. What drives him to escape eventually, what, what causes him to stay for as long as he does, and then what motivates his escape is his daughter um, escaping with her before she has some sort of an avenue out of there doesn't make a lot of sense. It'd be that much more difficult to escape with a kid in tow, right? But now that she is, A, leaving the hotel, which means leaving his life by and large, um, there isn't a reason for him to stay anymore. And with in addition, with her leaving the hotel and leaving the life that they had together, I would imagine the whole experience would be smaller and cheaper and less full of joy and life for him, right? Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think Sophia motivates motivates the escape and its timing. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> How is that not an answer to your question? 
they, the question still stands in my mind though. Like she, she went to school. She could have walked out of the hotel any day she wanted. But she couldn't have, but she, she couldn't, couldn't have walked out of Russia. Russia. So I think, I think, yeah, that, that was the reason because she was going to be in Paris. And so he engineers her escape right. and then he leaves himself. <laughs> face. He doesn't <laughs> buy it. I don't, I don't want to get, we don't need to break down this, this question on the plot too much. I just, it was just one of those things that like, as I was, I've read this book mm-hmm. multiple times and I was trying to figure it out while I was reading it again this time. And uh, I don't totally, it's just well, totally. There are a lot your, of things about this that are very there, convenient, but, right? A lot of things about this book that are convenient. And, and to your point about why there's not more plot, like that's not the point of the book. Right. He kind of has to like, you know, it's almost like the escape is like, because he had to end the book at some point, less than right. because yeah. you don't spend a lot of time where he, one of the things that's very interesting about this book is that we do not get a lot of interior dialogue, interior monologue about how much he wants to leave. I was thinking yeah. about that this time. Like he really doesn't spend a lot of time like looking longingly out the window. Um, he barely even like looks out the window and watches history go on, you know, in the streets. He doesn't like spend a lot of time trying to, you know, looking at the park across the way or wondering what the, his old haunts looked like and so forth. Go ahead, Heidi. Yeah. He's just making the best of it. He's being a gentleman about it. Right. Like he, he's got to pay his, his debt to society or whatever. Like not that he committed a crime and he didn't even do anything. It turns out he didn't even write the poem. He was a suspicious person, a former person. Um, Former was, person. Yeah, he was uh, imprisoned in a gilded cage for the crime of being an aristocrat. And then he maintained his gentleman-like status until he had the opportunity to go back home. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. even escape to go live the good life on the continent. Uh-uh. He, he goes home. and. And I think that that's really key to the triumph at the end. It's a, it's a triumph of, it's a triumph of the self and a triumph of tradition. It's a return, Mm -hmm. uh, not really even an escape in a certain way. Hmm. What were you a second ago saying like you wanted to respond to something? No, I I was actually going to say almost exactly what Heidi just said about the fact that he goes, he goes home. He escapes back to Russia. He couldn't leave Russia. He is Russia, right? I mean, he's Mm -hmm. the symbol of, of the nation or or at least of its heart and he doesn't want to leave. And, and that maybe that's contributes to why he stays in the hotel for so long as well, because all the glimpses he does get of the outside world are his Russia disappearing ever more thoroughly as the years go along. so yeah, I think he's he's mainly motivated by holding on to this cultural heritage and when he does escape the hotel, he goes right back to where it all started for him. Do you um do, do we want to talk about the willowy woman at the end? Sure. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a question. I just know you really like that part. <laughs> I like that. I like the word. I like the, I like the, the alliteration. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they get to be together at the, at the end. Like he does, he's not with Sophia, um, but he is with, he is with Anna. And I, I just think it's sweet. I, I think that it's like a nice, pleasant. And also I'm trying to, use the right words, find the right words. Like it, um, there is like a triumph to it, but it's not like a middle finger at the world kind of triumph. It, it actually isn't like Shawshank Redemption, like that it, it really is just, he gets to be an old man at home and, um, and still have to wrestle with like all the grief of, and the loss. Like that's very clear at the end that, everything has changed. Um, but he's also endured that so much throughout his whole life that he has made his peace with that and is just happy to be home. 
Should we talk about the Casablanca of it all? In what way? I mean, one, why do you, have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm going to watch it with Lucy tonight because I want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just read the book. What, one of my favorites. Yeah. The boys are going to be at a basketball game. Living have, the you dream. Put that, have you put them through it? Nice. It seems like required reading. Casablanca. Yeah. Um, neither of my kids have ever seen Casablanca. Has Scott? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know these, that was a confession. I said that in it. a confessional tone because <laughs> I, it is shameful. There's tonight, still time. Though. There's still time. I know tonight. Lucy yeah. and I are going to watch it. Yep. That's awesome. We should maybe we should do a, a bonus Casablanca episode. Oh, I love I'm that down. idea. It's a great oh, movie. We could do one of our well, we could do one of our live watches, but it wouldn't be a hate watch. You'd I know be a, it would be a love watch. Loving. That would be really boring. <laughs> the problem is, I'm everybody. not sure. I also couldn't handle people talking over it. Like, I'm a little I bit know, like, it'll be like, like sh- shut up and pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have uh, subtitles. You know? Yeah, right. right. Well, I, I can't get on with the subtitles. I can't do it. Okay, so, this, so is, this is different. I, I watch. I literally watch everything with subtitles. Anyway, I know your kind are a mystery to me. Okay, so the the thank you the Casablanca of it all. all. So you know you get you this get sounds the part. more like a comment than a question, David. So, well, I mean, he's constantly bringing up Bogart throughout the whole movie, and the, it right. builds and builds and builds. You get the glass part. You get the round up the usual suspects line. Uh-huh. You get the scene with um um. Oh, oh, what's his name? Um, Oseep. Oseep. Who at first doesn't like it. Like, this is silly. And then he, you know, ends up loving it. He's, you know, just can't stop staring at the screen. Um, And so it's clear that he is drawing a very... He's drawing a comparison between his book, excuse me, and Casablanca. Between Rick, between probably the Count... So I'm just curious how how much do you think that comparison is is like meant to to be thought about, and then what do you think? Like, what do you think he's trying to say? I mean, is it just he, you know he just wants us to, everybody to watch the movie, so you know he makes it tries to make it as compelling as possible? Kinda, like I I do think that I think that one of one of the things I love about Tolls so much, um, in spite of some of the flaws of his work sometimes like I just love him because he's he's an enthusiast he's and just what Dave just David what you said earlier like when you read his books you want to do stuff mm-hmm. like and I love that I love it when authors make me want to do stuff like um go like drink a good wine and go make an interesting meal like you said or go spend more time with your kids or i don't know maybe it'll make ian have a baby finally we've all been waiting for it like <laughs> so this like i love that funny that ian just got up and walked out i know he's like i'm done i that says yep <laughs> i can't tell if he's mad or <laughs> or real happy <laughs> so, um I do think that I think that he ties he's kind of I I almost see him like this is my book I can do whatever I want and I want I love Casablanca and so I'm going to put some Casablanca stuff in there I Mm. love that I think that's super cool I think it's great that's one of the reasons why I love reading him okay so Casablanca is about an American bar owner played by Humphrey Bogart in a one of the classic, you know, classic performances ever who owns this bar in Casablanca kind of on the edge of World War II beginning. And the the Nazis are like taking over and, you know, he is basically a smuggler um, and he ends up sort of like almost smuggling a person to safety. And so... He's also the opposite of an aristocrat. He is like not particularly charming, but he's kind of actively trying not to be charming, although he kind of is charming because he's Humphrey Bogart, right? But he's kind of, he's like a Greta Gruff, rough around the edges type of guy who is very compelling, but not like the Count. So I'm, so how do you, I'm like, I'm just curious to see, like, does he want us to go deeper on this comparison 
given how often he brings it up in a way that's different than just this is a great movie and I'm dropping it in here and it's like part of the 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 furniture of my imagination and it's this is just going to be fun. I'm not asking this to be pedantic or to like criticize him. I'm actually trying to like understand is he trying to do something more with that comparison to help deepen the story in a way that's not just entertainment value if that if that makes sense. Not just it seems highbrow because we're talking Casablanca. That is there's so many parts to that question. I'm not sure what to tackle first. I I have two It's like the opposite of when Heidi says that was a good question. I have two responses, I think, and I can't decide which one of them holds more water. Like my first one, and this is not to be overly critical. I like this book. Everybody chill. Um, my, my first response is that it's a, it is an enthusiast's move to include it. Um, and the main thing that he wants to do with it is draw a contrast between Osip and the perspective of the Bolsheviks and the count and his conservative perspective, the way that they interpret that scene with the glass and all of that, um, that that might be as deep as it goes, in which case more power to you, man, your book talk about Casablanca. I love Casablanca. This is great. Um, but there might be a little more in it when you consider that these are two um, in the count and bogey's character, we have two different kinds of resistance to the same sort of overwhelming regime. Um, That's interesting. And, but they're characterized by in like these two different personality expressions, they're characterized by self-sufficiency. The count basically says to his world, I have it within me to bear up under this. And as long as I maintain my principles and I remain a gentleman, all will be well. Right. And that's sort of what Bogey's doing too. He's still self-reliant. He still needs no one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But then both characters find ultimate, I guess, self-expression and freedom in giving of themselves to another person and basically acknowledging that they are not self-sufficient. And that's where the poignancy and the heft of their stories comes from. So maybe I'm reading something into it, but if there is something deeper, my gut is that's where, that's where it is. I like that a lot. I don't think Tolls is just writing an on the surface book. There's there. I, I don't necessarily think this is going to join the ranks of the culture shaping books of the world. Right. But it is clearly intended to be more than just a quick and easy read there. There is a lot of depth and exploration in this book. And, and so I, 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 I absolutely think that the resistance to a tyrannical regime is, is like, that is, that is the heroic aspect of the count. The point, I think the point is that one, well, one of the points is that if all you can do is pick up a glass on the table, if that's what the count contributes is like keeping the labels on the wine and making sure his daughter gets out of well, offering out, a right? clean, well, well lighted place. Exactly to, to take that, Hemingway that, into Casablanca. Thank you. Right. <laughs> like if that's what he offers is a staunch representation of aristocratic Russia with all of its flaws and all of its glories, and he maintains that throughout his entire life in the face of this dehumanizing regime, I think one of the things Tolls is saying is, can it not be that that is enough, that that is heroic action? And and I, I, I think that that's part of it. And and so I really like what you said, because in the movie, there is an opportunity for this character who tries to be, you know, so tough and, and um, jaded to take heroic action. And he does. Right. And um, and the count, I think, by the same token, also does. And and tolls kind of. Well, and at long last, right? Right. In similar fashion, like by the end. And it it requires of both of them that they come to an understanding of their need and then sacrifice. And the fact that he's a gentleman doesn't undermine that. Right. It upholds it. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think it wouldn't land. The the last scene in Casablanca would not land uh, if we hadn't seen Humphrey Bogart's character desire a different ending. And then choose mm-hmm. the one that we get. Um, well, but and that's like the interesting thing about 
this versus the this book versus Casablanca is that he doesn't in Casablanca he famously doesn't get the girl right 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 um, but it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship mm-hmm. yeah which is with maybe what else. we can say about his relationship with with Anna like <laughs> yeah well or the guys he leaves behind it's like the inverse of that right right um, and you have of course the the police officer who kind of looks the other way mm-hmm. well, round up the usual suspects. Um, it's interesting though that in Casablanca, I would say he is kind of not a gentleman. Right. Yeah. Which is why I like Ian's point about it being kind of contrasting very different reactions to this, to these regimes, Mm -hmm. this encroaching evil by two different men in two very different ways. Um, and I think what he's saying is like, the count is picking up the glass on the table. That's what he's doing. And that, have you guys seen that Facebook meme? That's like, well, I guess I've saw it on Facebook. It probably exists in other aspects of the interwebs. <laughs> um, um, uh, that says like, this is how I pictured it has like, you know, a couple different photos and says like, this is how I pictured myself fighting against, you know, the tyrants or whatever. And it oh, shows yeah. a woman in like a badass like leather whatever with a gun and then it says and this is how i'm actually doing it and it shows like a woman with a family like holding her kids hands and taking them to church and she's well dressed and and is with her husband and her family right Mm -hmm. and like that i think is true like and part of the and part of the message of this book in a light-hearted way wrapped around all of this candy is like you you don't have to be in leather with, you know, a dozen machine guns on your back to be making, to be taking a stand against tyranny. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's just living, sometimes just picking up a glass on the table. Sometimes it's like serving someone the kind of wine they want at dinner, like in remembering that that matters and, and that the count never forgets that he never forgets that it actually matters to maintain, um, a, a life that's paying attention to the details. Hmm. Yeah, I think more about this Casablanca thing. The rewatch Casablanca with this in mind. Um, do you think that any of the 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 I don't know criticisms or, or questions questions is maybe the better way of putting it that we had about this book over the last couple episodes were were answered or resolved for you? Um. Yeah. I think. I mean. I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there's things that we were like, well, we can't, we got to wait till the end to really figure it out. So, yeah, I think that last week, that question, I can't remember what it was. And probably some of our listeners are yelling at their speakers right now. It was this, right? But last week we were talking about um, the the question of the counts, whether his soul kind of grows throughout the the story. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a valid question because all characters, I was thinking about it afterwards and thinking the reason that we are harping on that as literary kind of thinking people is because all repentance is such a meaningful part of character development. Anytime a character has to actually turn from one way and go another way, uh, no matter how heroic they are, that's meaningful to a reader. Even if it's somebody who's an ideal type, like Achilles, right? Like he still has, or Odysseus, there's still these moments in these heroic journeys when any any character, no matter how idealized they are in the story, has to make a turn, has to repent of something, has to grow in some way. And it's not a criticism, but to ask that of a character, it's actually a, a way of loving them, right? Saying, I love mm. the count. So what is it about him that has to grow and change over time? Um, because we are just kind of waiting for that as, as readers. Mm. Um, and so we kind of feel like in order to really love this character, we have to see him kind of go through the same human journey that I do, which requires a certain amount of repentance and humility and growth. And, um, and so in asking for that in the book, we're not criticizing him or undermining him. We're actually asking a way to love him, right? And and so I, I think that he does grow um, 
And one of the ways he grows is by, I think the way he shows his growth ultimately and the way one of the most vindicating and satisfying moments in the whole book is when he takes the bishop hostage by like at gunpoint. I think that's awesome because we've kind of gotten used to him being like placid. And so he has to like take action and be a man of intent and do something dramatic um, and, mm-hmm. and, and fight for somebody he loves. Like he's fighting for Sonia here or it's Sophia. So it's Sophia. Sophia yeah. Thank you. Um, I just went like Dostoevsky you right went there. Straight the I saw that happen. Yeah. Um, so, and I like that moment speaks to, what we're asking for, which is like, is there any kind of like fierceness in this man anymore? No, he's 64 years old, holding some guy at gunpoint and locking him in a basement. That is so satisfying and almost feels not like repentance in the spiritual sense, but it does feel like this thing we've been waiting for, which is this like robust masculinity that we want from a leading man that is like at the forefront in that moment. And I, I think that kind of ties off a lot of things for him makes him not a dilettante dilettante but a man of action makes him more like rick yeah ian i don't know that i have much to add to that i think that's pretty good um i i I still harbor the other thing we were talking about is does the book live up to its uh ideas yeah to its ideas i don't i don't know honestly um it's a little treacly and i i I love i love treacle uh but i think I think it's <laughs> it's um, slightly shallow. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, here can can I jump in? Yeah, because I was thinking about this because I think in a way people took my question there as a criticism, and mm-hmm. I didn't mean it as a criticism. I didn't mean to say he's bringing up these ideas, and if it doesn't live up to it, it's bad. Right. I think what he might do is ask questions that he doesn't have the answers to and in not answering them, it can feel like the we're not sure exactly how the book wants to respond to them, which can feel like a gap. And so I, I think, I don't know that it doesn't live up to the ideas. Like I think in some ways the action, uh, the drama, the characters, all that maybe does live up to the ideas, but it's certainly true that he doesn't answer every idea, every question, particularly the political and philosophical questions I think he is more interested in the questions than he is. Okay. I'm going to say it. Then he is capable of answering them. And I don't mean capable of answering them in the sense that like, he's not a very smart guy. He's not capable of answering them, but like maybe the drama doesn't answer the questions that he asks, but maybe the point is the asking. So yes, you can say you don't come away from it feeling like he is offering a resolution to big questions that he's bringing up. That could be construed among certain people and is construed among certain people who study the nature of drama to be a flaw mm. that like there are people who would argue that that would a be a flawed yeah. way of writing. I don't think he is even intending to do that. And we'd have to have a conversation with him to see if he's really capable of like being a f- philosopher. Right. But I think the asking of the questions is important. And, and you know, Heidi, you said maybe it's not a culture shaping book. I would like to push back on that a little bit in the sense that maybe it's not a book that in a hundred years, everybody's still going to be reading. Maybe this is not Mark Twain. Maybe this is not James Joyce, Edith Wharton, whoever, but as many people as are reading it and as much as it's uh, been on the bestseller list and seems to be influencing other writers and the publishing industry and all that, it does seem to be shaping people. It does seem to be shaping culture in some way. And I was talking to, Christopher Perrin this week and I mentioned the book and he said, ah, he's like, I can't believe that book was written, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the 21st century America. Mm. And I think it's because it, it points to like actual true and good things, right? Like it's not trying mm-hmm. to be cynical. And so it's earnestly asking questions and it, in some ways it doesn't have the cynicism to try to answer them. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, not that answering every philosophical question is a form of cynicism, but most of those kind of questions are answered in modern books through a sort of like cynical lens. And I think that he kind of is like trying to do something different. So mm. that was a little rambly, but no, I, I like that. I think 
I agree. I think that the book doesn't quite bear up under uh, the depth of the ideas presented within it. And I think that's because as I've been, I've been thinking about it too, over the last couple of weeks, I think it's because it's a book that stays on, you know, I've mentioned this lots of times, like how I read books as in these three concentric circles, like the circle of the self about the count, the, the main character. And then, then, then there's this, this societal circle that asks questions about like issues related to society. And then like this universal circle around it, that's more spiritual, the spiritual kind of questions that are raised by a great book. And this book intentionally dwells only in the first and second circle. It never brings up the questions of spirituality. The only time it even mentions spirituality is when the count crosses himself, I think twice or three times in order to look through the book to find out if there's like a political event coming up that he can report mm-hmm. um, to Richard. Right. And, and that's even a question in the second circle. Like, so it's not, there, there is no way for a book to bear up under universal questions unless it allows a universal question to be asked within the book and oh, and gives well like and and that isn't there intentionally in tolls i think um and and so therefore we're left with kind of this like you you use the word treacly mm-hmm. um and and i think that's right and i think it's delightful and really fun to read and beautifully paced and and like it's so great. I really, really like this book, and I'll keep reading it. But you cannot. Ah, uh, but if it doesn't allow for the full scope of humanity, including the universal questions of good and evil and right and wrong and God and all of those questions. And if it doesn't provide either a compelling space to ask those questions or to find a meaning-making thread within the story to answer it, it's it 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 remains truncated, not quite what it could be. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I to go back to something David said a second ago, um, I don't think that a work of art has to provide compelling answers to every question that it raises. In fact, I would go so far as to say I would define a work of art and separate it from a work of philosophy or theology um, by the sense in which it asks questions rather than delivering answers. Um, and it can do both. That's fine. But or it's answering it, them indirectly. Yeah. Or maybe answering them indirectly or even like Anal- in a, in logically. A, yeah. In a, to- in a Tolkien um, framework or Lewis or one of those guys that's after theological game and is making some theological statements in his work. Um, even so the answers to those questions are worked into the fabric of what Heidi just said, uh, of complete human experience, right. With shades of gray and nuance and the presence of suffering and all of that. Um, and I guess my, my question for this book is, can you actually hang out in that first circle talking about the self without, uh, or while mm-hmm. ignoring the presence of God? I'm not sure you can. I mean, even Hemingway doesn't. Right, like right. there's, there's it a sense in well, is obsessed with the question of God. Exactly, exactly. and yeah. I think I think everybody is if they're honest. And, and, on that's, and here's is. the problem: and like I don't, is. <laughs> I and, yeah. and Mr. Tolls, if you ever hear this, I I want to be your friend and let's have a glass of wine together. I'd love to talk to you about this, but I'm not sure how honest a book this is because it omits that question, and it's mm-hmm. not like I'm sitting here going. I'm a Christian reader. I want you to have my conversations instead of your own conversations. That's not what I mean. What I mean is if you're going to compellingly ask the question of the self, you are asking a question about God. And so if God is absent, the book feels shallow. Um, Particularly and, because it's like you're walking to the, it's like you walk to the edge of a room in a museum and I don't know how I've got to figure out how to exactly say this, but it's like you walk to the edge, you're in a museum and you hear that there is going to be a Bruegel painting or like a Bruegel exhibit, right? In this hall, in this museum. Mm-hmm. And you kind of walk around the museum and you're walking towards where you think the Bruegel display is going to be. And you get to that edge and then you kind of glance in and you see there's the Bruegel painting but they don't actually, they have it all blocked off. And instead you have to go right and you have to go see Degas. I just chose a random person on the top of my head. I'm not criticizing Degas what, as being godless. What a comparison. But the point <laughs> is like, 
you think you see Bruegel there for a second, but all you do is get to glance at it and then it takes you off to the right. He, he's, he keeps getting you to the edge of wanting to bring up God, whether it's because he brings up, you know, certain elements of Russian culture, the crossing, mentions of icons, things like that. Mm-hmm. But then he never really digs into that. He doesn't take you into that room. He doesn't take you into the, into the God room. He doesn't take you into the Bruegel room. And no. instead you go right because you have to go right and it takes you into the the Degas room, the Degas room before you then end up in Monet and then you end up out on the street or in the gift shop rather um so yeah no i, I think that, you're, that's a little convoluted i mean i like, no, I like it. that i like it and it and huh, it also isn't believable that a man in the count's position raised in the era in which he was raised wouldn't be thinking about god over a 35 year house arrest i don't buy it I just don't buy it. While the world is crumbling around you, and in, yeah. in, 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 in a Russian, in a, in a in a country that is obsessed with, with right. It. Well, and right. it isn't just the count; it's all of like it's just an it's ignored everyone. aspect of the book. And it was, and it's so essential to Bolshevism. Mm-hmm. There, the atheism and the desire to smash the literal icons and mm-hmm. you know the figurative ones of of the Russian faith, yeah. um, which would have been a at least at least culturally observed within his family right of um, course. even if they weren't devout and so that to be completely ignored in a 20th century novel that's taking on the problems that never like and or at I least think that's why to, david's or... question is so valid for this mm-hmm. book because if because tolls keeps bringing in these larger questions right what is russia's contribution to the world no mention of the orthodox church but we're talking about vodka right like so this is <laughs> well that's which, the criticism of this book right it's not right. really russian so right but that's i think that again we're not asking for the book to be christian right 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 yeah, like right. we're all we all that's not the point not the point is that it's it that whole aspect of humanity in a book that's kind of taking on these questions of culture and psychology to completely ignore uh any kind of spiritual dimension at a time when it was forefront in the culture is an yeah, intentional right. choice right. yeah and, and i think the warned. book suffers from it and doesn't quite bear up under the that absence yeah it's what it's what it's lacking to make mm-hmm. it to take it to the next level mm-hmm. right yeah, I think so too. one thing that I did appreciate is something that the book kind of introduces at the end. Um, on four thirty, and then on four thirty two is the scene where he four thirty through four thirty two ish is where he holds the bishop hostage. That's Maybe it begins great. a little bit earlier. I love that scene. But I want to um, read two paragraphs, and I want to hear what you guys think about these. I think in some way this relates. Um, what went through the mind of the bishop as he descended the five flights from the attic to the ground floor? What emotion did he feel? Perhaps it was gloating. Having felt belittled by the Count for over 30 years, perhaps he now felt the pleasure of finally putting his pretentious polymath in his place. Or perhaps it was righteousness. Maybe Comrade Leplevsky was so dedicated to the brotherhood of the proletariat from which he'd sprung that the persistence of this former person person in the new Russia galled his sense of justice. Or maybe it was simply the cold satisfaction of the envious. For those who had difficulty in school or at making friends when they were young will forever recognize with a bitter glance those for whom life seemed to come easy. Gloating, righteousness, satisfaction, who can say? The emotion the bishop felt upon opening the door to his office was almost certainly that of shock. Okay, so then he takes it, he enters the room, right? Now skip ahead a little bit, and on 433, he's holding the bishop hostage, right? Make yourself comfortable, said the count. Then to pass the time, he began to whistle a bit of Mozart. Um, Is there something on your mind? Asked the Count. The left upper corner of the bishop's mouth twitched. Your sword, he sneered. How convinced you have always been of the righteousness of your, the rightness of your actions, as if God himself was so impressed with your precious manners and delightful way of putting things that he blessed you to do as you pleased. What vanity. The bishop let out what must have passed in his household for a laugh. Well, you have had your time. You've had your chance to dance with your illusions and act with impunity, but your little orchestra has stopped playing. Whatever you say or do now, whatever you think, even if it is at two or three in the morning behind a locked door, will come to light. And when it does, you will be held to account. Okay, so. That doesn't end up being true. (laughs) The bishop ends up 
getting his comeuppance um, in a way that he thought was coming for his, you know, his enemy. But one thing that I think is interesting here is the book introduces almost for the first time the question of whether the count is wrong. Like the bishop makes an interesting point or is trying to anyway, that, uh, you know, I asked about the fatal flaw. Like what's, what's the bishop's big flaw? How do you mention vanity? And the bishop clearly agrees with you. You know, he says, you're, you're vain. Me and what, the bishop. You, this is a big <laughs> flaw, right? And normally you want to be on a bishop's side. Right. Um, uh, he says, you've been convinced of the rightness of your actions as if you think God's impressed with you. It's just, but it's just vanity. And in the end, you're going to get your comeuppance. It does, it's not true that he ends up getting his comeuppance, but does the book think that the bishop is making a point? That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, is he introducing here at the end that maybe the count is not a, everything he's cracked up to be and has some kind of flaws? So what do you think? Is this meant to be purely the like the wrongheadedness of the bishop and it's and like that is because it's present this like attack is presented by a character who none of us like that he that so therefore like the whole take is just wrong or does it seem to be dropping that in a little subtly that maybe this vanity is a real problem and he doesn't deserve to maybe the the bolshevik like maybe they have a point right maybe the revolution had a point is one way of putting it but that he's not everything he's cracked up to be Ian, what do you think about this? I, as much as this book loves culture and wants to make uh, conservationists of us all, um, I think, <laughs> I think if there is a point here, it's it's that aristocracy is not all that it's cracked up to be. Um, I don't know, however, that the count himself is really on trial. Um, I think that the book is not putting him on trial. Yeah. I think that he puts himself on trial for his activities. It does begin with him being on trial. Of course. But he puts himself on trial internally for his activities that led to his sister, you know, dying alone. Right. Um, But he's, I mean, it's been a long time. It's been 30 plus years. He's in his sixties. He's become as mature a man as he is going to be by this point. And so, Mm I don't know that we're supposed to take the bishop as delivering any kind of word on our character from from the author. If anything, his um, his line about things coming to light causes the count to remember he needs to burn all these files so that his friends are safe from scrutiny. Right. So, mm-hmm. pretty much everything about that speech works against the bishop right. in terms of the yeah. plot. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm just like I'm trying to figure out is the book trying to introduce. The, the question i don't know i i've i've maybe more to say about that in a second when i get my thoughts in order but i want to hear from heidi what do you think yeah, yeah i think if it is then there was a uh a problem with the characterization of the bishop because he's so unattractive the entire time he's so clearly the antagonist um that his he doesn't have the chops within the story to present a valid argument that we would pay attention to Um, Mm. I kind of think he's right in some ways. Um, but I also think that the Bishop is full of envy and malice and annoying, petty fogging Bolshevik BS, right? Um, yeah, send it. (laughs) Um, so I don't like him at all. And I was really happy that he got held up at gunpoint and locked it downstairs in the basement. Yeah, yeah you're clearly supposed awesome. to. He's making him an unlikable character all along. Yes. You want to get his come yeah. up. You want him to get his come up. Come up, and so it happens. I do not Catharsis. think that. Um, I I really don't think that we're necessarily supposed to like see him as having this like moment of clarity. However, I think some of his accusations against the count are founded on some true foibles in the count's personality um are they foibles he's overcome yeah or they're forgivable right they're they're not anything that we don't know or just would dislike they're not any kind of revelation Mm -hmm. um you're kind of like yeah to him either you sense right like yeah and he says like he's genuinely like what is he i don't even know what he's talking about so um Mm -hmm. yeah i 
I think that he's, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to have this like a moment of clarity of like, yeah, you tell him the count's finally getting to hear who he really is. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> it could have been interesting though, for the Bishop to say all that, for the Bishop to still get his comeuppance and for the count to have a moment of self-awareness where right. he, he realizes maybe he has a point. And when I get out of here and I go to the willowy woman, I will uh, <laughs> need to do better on that. Like mm-hmm. that could have been interesting to have him be a little bit reflecting. <laughs> when I get back to the willowy woman, I'm going to do less stargazing and more navel gazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was, uh, that was nice. quick. That was yeah. good. That was good. You gathered <laughs> your thoughts really well right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just, it, it, I have one more question here for you about the ending. Does the book deliver the catharsis that we're usually looking for as readers? Do you think? I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah I so it's not a leading so. question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, def- so. I got done with it and looked across the living room at my wife and said, you gotta read this. I want to talk about it. <laughs> it's fun. Cause, Cause these eight hours weren't enough. Yeah. <laughs> I love you both, but I really want to know what I Emily know. thinks. Yeah, I do too. I want to. Oh, know I can see her liking this book. Yeah, I, I think she would too. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there. Next week we're going to do the Q and A. So Heidi, you want to be in charge of putting that Q and A thread up on Facebook? I do. Um, I want to be on in Monday charge of that. when this goes up. Well, if you don't want to, just tell me. That's no, I want sarcastic. to. Ta- tag no, us, I do. <laughs> tag us both in it. I want to watch the questions yeah, okay. roll in so yeah. much. I really want to do that. Okay, so on Monday when <laughs> I that goes up. Do. On the 31st, then, when that goes up. And then also, if you are not on Facebook or just want to um, not get on Facebook, you can leave a question underneath the episode, this current episode that you're listening to on the Substack page. So if you're at closereads.substack.com, just leave your comment, your questions for the Q&A episode on the thread part of this very episode that you're listening to right now. So there's two different ways of doing it if you're not a social media user, closereads.substack.com. Click that comment button and you can underneath this episode and you can get your voice heard as well. Any final thoughts, Ian? Any final thoughts, Heidi? Nope. Mm-mm. I'm good. Well, as I told you before we started recording, it is, uh, it's the Lord of the Rings night here at the current household. We're watching it for the first time. My kids are watching it for the first time. They, they finished the first book. So we're going to dive into the Fellowship of the Ring. And then I'm going to do that thing where they have to wait to watch the second one until they read mm-hmm. the second book. Yes. And they chose not to get it done. So uh, they're going to have to wait longer. I'm so love it. proud of you like, right now. So is it you and the ch- and Coulter and Jem watching the movie? Or is everybody so, watching it? So, well, Lydia won't right. watch something for that long anyway. Lucas is going to watch it. He's listened to a lot of it. Okay. So it's classic like younger child scenario here, you know. Right. Oh, he's yeah. li- he's listened to the book and he has listened to the dramatized version. You know, the, the old mm-hmm. BBC one from the from oh, that's, the um, that's good stuff, man. With Ian Holm playing Frodo, Michael Horton awesome. as Gandalf. Um, so he, he since he can't read, we're gonna and he is a little young for this, so we're gonna see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, it fine. may be it may be yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, kids these days. Kids these days. My kids these days. So um, desensitized by yeah. movies and television. Seriously. Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're doing that tonight. So um, awesome. Yeah. That sounds okay. like a fun. A watershed then, moment. Heidi, should we make the big announcement about the next bonus book? Yeah. Okay. Heidi, we're about to finish East of Eden, our yes. recordings with Sean. We got one more episode and then we got the QA. After that, we have about a month left before the end of the year. So we thought, we don't need to dig into a super long book. We'll just wait till the new year. We'll just wait wait for you to say it. (laughs) So we're going to discuss a shorter book on Close Reads HQ on our bonus pods. I know, we're breaking the rules. But this is a book that has been asked for. It has been clamored for. It has been requested ad nauseum because you brought this upon yourself hey i suggested it and oh we're out of time gotta go all right later (laughs) happy reading (laughs) no how do you wanna you wanna um tell everyone no you have to do it because this is a book you always complain about okay constantly we're going to do Till We Have Faces. Yes. We're going we're gonna to talk about Till We Have Faces on the bonus pod. So we're going to do that after we finish East of Eden. We're going to do that till the end of the year. So we're going to do... We're going to do... We haven't decided on how many episodes we're going to do, but 
I'll post that soon. Also, we have the list of books for next year. And I have the order of that. So I'll share that as well. And then we'll decide on some what we're going to do for the actual longer books as we get into 2023. And I'm sure we'll have Ian involved with a few things uh, as well. Oh, yeah. So... This is really exciting because this is in my top five favorite novels of all time. And David doesn't like it. Famously. So it's really exciting. Okay. Here's the question though that I, this is, this is going to be, this is going to really impact my life very dramatically because the fact that like the bit that I don't like this book has been so constant over the last decade of my life that once the bit is gone, what do I do? Who will you be? And then so like, who all, are you? Yeah, it's like a I count Ross right. moment. And then Include secondly, God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then and <laughs> and then secondly, um, do I maintain the bit as we're talking about it? Okay, so Ooh. you have to. Mm-hmm. It's not just a bit. You have a legitimate issue with the structure of the novel, and it's going to be. A conversation no, because I, I think it works and you don't. No, so we're I, gonna, I, yeah. I do think that it has some issues. I also, but I don't hate it. Like people like has been the, um, the, like the bit that's come down well, the way it's been like, heard. Now you're going to, we're hedging already. You already said it. Um, yep. <laughs> or do I just, do I do, I just really ramp up the bit on the show. That's what I, that's what we're going to, so tune in. Yeah. Subscribe tune in to, to Close Reads out. HQ. How to find this to, to hear our conversation resolves. Yeah, and at the end, <laughs> who will David be at the end is really the question. <laughs> Why is Till We Have Faces great or not? And will um, will David be able to come out the other side of this as a whole human being? To use the phrase that Heidi brought up on this mm-hmm. on this series recently. So, of course, in the meantime, we've got uh, the end of East of Eden, and we've got the Q and A episode of this book. And uh, we gotta say thank you to Ian once again. We love you, Ian. Love you guys too. Thanks for having me. We'll get you on again by doing a Casablanca episode at some point. I would, I yeah. would like to do that. So I like that it. sounds great. I'm in. You let me know. I'll be there. All right. And of course, Ian and I did talk about the finale and the whole the whole complete season of Rings of Power, and uh, you can tune into that as well. So Heidi just made a face, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> for Ian, nope. Yep. For Heidi, I'm David Curry. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. Bye.